Hello. Hi, everyone. Wow, it's a full house today. How's everyone's first day of South by? Good. Nice. I like that energy. Okay. So I'm so excited to be talking about this today. I am here with some amazing panelists. My name is Dalma. I'm actually a TikTok creator. And today's panel is The Future of Search, The Rise of Social Search Among Gen Z. And it covers a lot of interesting ground, a lot of buzzwords today. So we're going to get into all of that. And before we get started, let's show some hands. Who uses TikTok or Instagram for search? It's a lot of people. You know, what's funny is I'm a TikToker and I actually don't. There you go. Um, So that's really interesting. We're going to dive into the implications of that, basically. So I want to introduce my wonderful panelists today. We have, starting from that side, Jacob Bolvig, who is the Director of Marketing at Steel Series. We have Laura Vestal, Head of Marketing at Invisibly. And we have Mustafa Elbramawi, the founder and CEO of No Good. And my name is Dolma. I am a TikTok creator. An accidental TikTok creator is what I call myself. Um, and I'm super excited to be doing this with you guys today. So let's actually start off with the premise of this topic. So 40% of Gen Z, according to some internal Google studies, are actually using search, TikTok and Instagram mainly, to conduct searches for especially things like local discovery. Now, I want to start off with addressing why do you guys think that is? What is the appeal of social media platforms for search purposes? And let's actually start with you, Mustafa. Hi, everyone. Um, I think search, like the, the, the social, let's start with TikTok maybe because that's, that's uh, you know, every social search in general and, and sort of, you know, not just TikTok, it's TikTok, Reddit and, and Pinterest and a bunch of other sort of uh, platforms. But I was starting with TikTok, I think. Uh, advertising in general, like sort of if you, if you were to like pull up your phone now and sort of search something on your iPhone, your, the first four results are going to be a bunch of ads. And I think advertising and ads as a marketer, I'm guilty of that. We've degraded, like the quality of search have just degraded significantly in the past few years. And I would say like, you know, Google have had monopoly on search for, you know, 25 plus years now and, and, and sort of the quality have significantly degraded. Uh, so uh, and, you know, you get a bunch of ads, you get a bunch of referral links, you get a bunch of SEOs and you get a bunch of like stuff that, you know, it's not authentic and it's not real. If you were to look for the best restaurant in Austin today in TikTok, you're going to get a visually engaging experience, socially validated. You're going to have a conversation of two people from Austin. They're like, you're not from Austin. You're new to Austin. Like this restaurant is shitty. Like I know the owner. And you're going to get a real view into like how people fully like believe, like think about this thing. And you also might not get, you know, a bunch of stuff that are not, a, not as authentic, but the experience is visually engaging, socially validating, especially for discovery use case, how to's, uh, finding new experiences, new restaurants, new place. Like, I feel like Google is sort of lax in that area. And there's a very interesting use case for TikTok that I personally, as a user of it, but also like as a company that we've seen sort of uh, a lot of brand leverage that for growth. Uh, I, I I can understand why um, you know there is sort of a valid reason to use TikTok and and I can see this segment continue to grow where Google is lagging in that in that particular sort of segment. Yeah, and can you tell everybody what you actually do and what No Good does? I forgot to ask that because I got a little <laughs> excited. So let's introduce sort of your company and then Laura and Jacob. You can also input your takes on this question. So we we are um, uh, 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 run a, a growth team out of New York. We're um, about sixty people doing uh, growth and performance marketing for for startups and fast growing brands. Basically, um, particularly like performance creators piece and and holding helping also on the search piece as well. Uh, my background is is I worked growth engineering for Microsoft, like a bunch of other companies, BNGs, Amex, uh, and then after that, uh, just again been a search nerd for a while. Where on the ad side, the SEO side, and throughout all of it, whether on the product side or uh, on the marketing side. Laura. Thank you, Dolma. I'm excited to be here today. I'm Laura Vestal, and I'm a marketer, and I've been on the agency and client side, and I've worked with Fortune 500 brands. Currently, I am head of marketing at Invisibly, which is a tech startup backed by Founders Fund and founded by Jim McKelvey, who co-founded Square with Jack Dorsey. 
And at Invisibly, we are giving people a new way to access and pay for content. So the world of content and search is just so directly related. Um, I also have a journalism degree from the University of Missouri, so content is near and dear to my heart. And um, I'm very excited to be here today. Thank you. Jacob. Yep, uh, I'm Jacob, and I'm a gamer who realized pretty quickly that he was never going to go pro, so I decided to go get a real job in gaming. Uh, and that brought me to Steel Series, which is like a, a Nike of gaming gear. So we do high-performance headsets, keyboards, mice that are beautifully designed and uh, are used by esports athletes all around the world. Um, and today we also do a bunch of apps that are super helpful for gamers. And my responsibility is to market and grow the user base of those apps. So each of you are marketers in your own way. How are you guys currently thinking about search and the role of search in your marketing strategies? Search is interesting because you have social search that you need to take into account when you're planning your marketing strategy. But then there's the foundational search aspect with Google. So um, I view Google as just table stakes to building a brand. If you Google your brand and you are not in the top results, that's a huge issue when it comes to validation of really just building trust in your brand. But I think there's definitely this new angle and a huge audience, 40% of Gen Z, who are turning to social search. So you cannot discount that or you're turning your back on this massive audience that's only growing. So we are definitely in experimentation mode when it comes to social search, because I think there's a lot that's new. And especially with TikTok, it is uncharted territory. And I think some marketers are being very cautious. But I would say take advantage of the newness of TikTok because we've been able to leverage it pretty easily to rank for some keywords like read news for free. And um, we're early in our process of building a community, but it's definitely has is an effective way to establish a credible brand and also drive awareness for top of funnel traffic. Yeah, I would say, uh, like, we've always focused a lot on social search, but for us, that looks more like Reddit, for instance. That's been a huge player uh, in, in our business. And, you know, the first question you asked is, like, why, why is this booming with Gen Z? I think they have a huge bullshit uh, meter, right? Bull a very good bullshit detector. And uh, that's been true for, like, in the gaming space ever since I've been working in it because they've grown up on the Internet. And um, I think they're very good at detecting what's true, what's not, right? We talk a lot about like authentic content now, but I think for gamers, that's, they've been very attuned to that from the very beginning. So for SteelSeries, we've always paid a lot of attention uh, on Reddit, both through our own subreddit, but also engaging in subreddits like uh, mouse reviews and mechanical keyboards. So we go where those topics are that our users, customers are very interested in. And we host uh, AMAs, for instance. So we're, we're very, very open we allow them to talk with our product designers and engineers uh, and engage with them where they are. So we bring real content out there. So when people are searching for SteelSeries, when they're looking to inform their buying process, they can see, wow, okay, this, this company is real. You know, they're, uh, this is the thinking process that went into it and so on. It's like bringing that real content out there where the customers are. That's always been a focus for us. That's a really interesting insight that when we think of social search, it doesn't just have to be TikTok or even Instagram. It can be Reddit. It can be these other platforms, depending on your vertical, depending on your business. Which actually brings me to a question I want to ask you, Mustafa, which is let's talk about the different platforms and use cases of social search, because you actually wrote some great thought leadership around this. And if I can figure out how to use this thing, I want to show you guys something. Here you go. Um, you wrote some thought leadership around the unbundling of search. So let's talk about that. What are some of the patterns we're seeing around, you know, search across different platforms and how it's being fragmented? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, the, so typically like the, so today's internet is a lot more complex than the internet that Google started, um, you know, in. And, and today's internet is, has multiple layers, modalities, uh, geographies, uh, just uh, so many complexities and even very fragmented at the platform level, at communities level. Uh, you have the wall gardens, uh, you know, these like gated gardens of quality contents uh, that is sort of like really you can't really access just through search anymore. 
So the search is fragmented into sort of, I would say, verticals uh, or specialized search engines. And then you have modality specific. TikTok is more of a modality specific. That's video. Uh, and, and you have images. That's Pinterest. Uh, and, but you also have in the vertical side, uh, you have property search, travel search, financial search. Uh, uh, it, it's, and it, it's really difficult, even commerce. Uh, if you've tried Google, Google Shopping lately, Google Shopping is not the quality of other sort of maybe other platforms um, that sort of like really focus on that. And today's sort of users of the internet are just not using Google as a gateway as much as it once was. Uh, I'm not saying that this is Google is like losing much. Obviously, Google remains the dominant players in, in the space, but that's what's happening slowly to search. So like every other, everything else, it sort of slowly like gets fragmented. Uh, because they're spread way too thin, trying to tackling too many verticals. And you'll see a lot of like really like, especially with uh, sort of like really generative AI coming to the game and sort of like enabling these companies to elevate the quality of search uh, experience on their platforms. I think the modality specific and the vertical specific, we're going to start seeing some of these players leavening up with Google in ways that we haven't seen seen before. And that's, I think, uh, Reddit search is, 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 is one, I would say, uh, uh, um, you know, TikTok search is one, but you also have like an, a lot of uh, new players like Neva, you, uh, Brave for, for decentralized sort of search and sort of privacy focus. Uh, so there's a lot of new players, but they're smaller, but they eat like tiny, tiny pieces of search. And TikTok was more of just one of the big ones, which we, we paid attention to. But that's slowly happening to search and Google is definitely aware of it. And, and that fragmentation and, and unbundling of search is, I think, is, 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 a, is a trend that we were going to continue to see in my, from, from my opinion. I think that's an interesting point because um, I have an eight-year-old who falls into Gen Alpha and I know Search, she uses Alexa for Search. So she goes to Alexa to check her homework now and I think that's only growing. So I think things like voice search are also going to be part of that. Absolutely. Huge. Yeah. And one more thing, you, you talked about some of these specifics, uh, like these specific verticals. I think with the chat GPT tech and them opening that up for other companies to use, all of a sudden, everyone can create a really powerful search engine for themselves uh, using their own data set. And I could see that happening across gaming, like very advanced games like League of Legends and Dota that requires a lot of knowledge. They could have amazing search engines that just focuses on their specialized uh, information. And then there's maybe an, an unsexy example, but something that's very meaningful for our business, uh, which is AI search on our knowledge base articles when people need help with their products. That's obviously getting better and better too. And people would much rather just help themselves get a result quickly than have to go through support, which I'm sure a lot of us can relate to. Um, so that's also getting better and better. So yeah, search is being more fragmented and uh, decentralized. Like, yep. I think that's good. I think I genuinely like believe that's a, that's a good trend as, as search. I think having one player in search, obviously Google have done sort of tremendous job, which is why they have the, the market position that they have. But uh, having... Uh, multiple sort of, um, it's like having the same, you know, electricity supplier or water suppliers. I think having competition there, I think is definitely a, he a healthy thing. And I think it helps these companies sort of level up and give us better experiences overall as consumers and users of these platforms. It's definitely interesting to talk about this unbundling and this fragmentation and how there are actually so many more platforms than we typically think when we think, oh, battle for a future of search, right? We tend to think Google as the dominant player and then TikTok is maybe going to displace that and maybe chat GPT. But when it comes to some of these more prominent platforms that we're talking about with regards to search, TikTok, chat GPT, what do you each see as being some of the limitations of these platforms? I mean, they can't do everything, can they? Or, or maybe can they? I see limitations for the publishing industry. I don't know if there's any journalist in the room, but I raise would definitely hand. raise your hand if you're a journalist. Your employers should take note because the AI search is definitely something to keep an eye on. If you consider the current search model, the traditional Google, you basically you enter your search query and you get a list of the very familiar blue links. Those blue links drive a massive Google-driven economy that drives revenue and traffic to publishers. With AI search, you enter your search query and you get an answer. You may get the links as well, but you get an answer. Do you need to click on the links? That is incredibly disruptive to publishers. And especially when it comes to gated content, I see New York Times, CNN, Wall Street Journal. Um, 
that's just a huge industry thing that everyone needs to keep a pulse on. I, I totally agree with with Laura on this. It's it's certainly like the we're moving from the sort of like search engine to uh, more of answer answer engines, right? Like that sort of like the trying to like get to um, like people like you search to you search, then you find stuff. But people like finding; they don't like searching as much. And finding the finding piece or coming to this answer urging, just like there is a step of like really looking at information and navigating that, that I, it looks like that's a, with obviously ChatGPT being the fastest growing app of all time right now or software of all time. It looks like that's working for some use cases, but will be interesting to see how that sort of manifests itself. And definitely uh, they're just, you know, generating, like regenerating and using everyone else's sort of data and information, but not no credit and no traffic is going back. Well, in Google's case, you, I mean, it's mm -hmm. the biggest sort of traffic drivers for most publishers and most companies in general. Marketers and brands and everyone is getting a lot of traffic from search. It, with generative AI, it's, it's, it's sort of like, you know, no one is getting much. So and this was brought up a couple of weeks ago to Microsoft, but yeah. the response was fairly vague of how this will happen. But I, they acknowledge the content fuels the whole system. But I think it's a hot topic. No one has the answer. It's still too early to tell, but it's definitely something to keep a note about. So, Mustafa, I want to hear your take, and anybody else can jump in if they have perspectives on this, on what you see Google doing now to maintain their dominance. So Google Search, for those who are not familiar, was actually first developed as a research project in 1996. That is over a quarter of a century ago, which in tech years is like a century ago. It's a long time ago. So it's actually astounding that they have maintained this massive dominance in the market, in search for this long. That being said, the whole topic of this conversation is about how they might get displaced. So what do you see Google doing today to make sure that they are maintaining that dominance? I mean, I mean, it's, it's, they're, put it like, they remain like the very, very, very dominant players and dominating, as you said, dominating, uh, you know, a $250 billion industry for 25 years is sort of, you know, super impressive. And I don't think we can think of any company of tech at that level that dominated an industry was a 90% um, sort of, you know, market share for, for, I don't think, I can't really think of one. If you think of Apple and, and just global market at that level, it just, it's, it's very, very phenomenal. I think they're the last sort of big advancement that we've seen in search in their fronts is the MUM, which is literally like sort of like being able to search with like image and, and text at the same time. That was sort of like the last big advancement. I think they're making a lot of changes in UI. Uh, and definitely it's sort of a company uh, like Google probably doesn't move at the same pace as maybe a smaller company like OpenAI or or sort of maybe a hungry, more hungry company like like TikTok. But I think they're obviously like, you know, they're responding with, you know, uh, shorts on the YouTube fronts and it's they've been sort of gaining massive momentum there. Uh, they definitely improved the UI on sort of the search products and they're they're trying and I think they're, they've made massive advancement. And frankly, I think uh, you know, the, the, with, with the, the AI piece, like being first is not always, always sort of like the, uh, you know, is, is, is you don't always win. And it with just being first, obviously chat GPT with over hundred, hundred million users is sort of, you know, um, they, they, as, as, as the CEO of Microsoft said, they, they're going to make them come out and dance and that's what's happening. Uh, but, uh, but I, I still think they, they, they're doing a lot and, but really haven't seen, I think they're going to come out and dance, but we're going to start seeing some, some of that dancing. Uh, in in the next few 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 months and 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 uh, but they're definitely playing catch up and this is a position that we haven't seen Google in for a very long time. It's uh, it's always been the the brand that is sort of charting innovation and pushing everyone forward, and we're seeing them playing catch up. So which is obviously good for consumers, but uh but uh we'll see what they come out and do. And Bard was that part of that dance. We'll see how that go, how that went overall. But uh but yeah, it's 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 uh, they're doing a lot. Bard was one of the one of the maybe just reactive responses, but maybe thought more thoughtful and strategic responses will probably come out in, in the next few months. We'll see. I think there's a possibility they're not playing catch up and that they're set because I think they have had a research uh, group called Google Brain since 2011, and they produced the most amount of AI research from any institution, any business. So you have to think that they're well-positioned to come out and win this thing. And I think when you look at their mobile operating system, the most popular, when you look at their search, 90% market share, unheard of, they were second to market on both of those things. 
So being first to market is not always the best thing to win it. I want to pivot to talking about Gen Z because that is part of what we're talking about here today. Um, I am not Gen Z, though I am very active on TikTok, but I would love to get a sense of for your respective businesses, especially you, Jacob and Laura, what is the role of, you know, Gen Z in terms of how you think about targeting your customer base and who you are building for? And how are you thinking about that with these evolutions of these platforms? Well, a big change for us has been to embrace like the levity and the fun that you have on TikTok and, uh, and also embracing that not everything has to be super high production and fancy quality. Like that stuff, you can save it for YouTube, although there's also a place for more authentic stuff there. But for us, that's been a huge learning curve is accepting, oh, our brand can look this way too. And we've tried the more polished route. That did not work at all. That doesn't resonate at all. Um, so you have to be very real. You have to like mirror uh, the experience that our customers have, like show that they can relate to our brand. We relate to them. Um, so that's, that's been a huge learning for us being on TikTok is finding a way for our brand to speak that way to Gen Z. And then I would say the other thing is more uh, like early on in the life of SteelSeries, we've been around since 2001, big media outlets like Engadget, Kotaku, uh, they're still important uh, today, but not as much for the younger crowd. Like you need to uh, talk with YouTubers. You need these individual media outlets. And the same is true with uh, TikTok, where you have tech talkers now. Um, so that's been a, a huge new different way for us to think uh, and embrace them as, no, these are legitimate sources of information and content. And if we're not talking with them, we're not engaging with them, um, we're not reaching Gen Z. So that's been one of the major transitions for us. And frankly, we're still learning and embracing that. Can I double click on that? How are you guys engaging with these tech talkers and these new sort of um, kind of thought leaders or gatekeepers in the space? Um, I, uh, I wouldn't say it's like, that much different than the big outlets, meaning uh, you have to do a good job of educating them on, on your product, what it is that we can do, try to like show different use cases, and then they'll go off and do their own thing. Um, every now and then there might be a little bit more interaction with the, the younger TikTokers that are not as big because they'll, they'll ask and say, hey, did we talk about this feature the right way? Just checking. But they are just as preoccupied with uh, credibility as the big outlets, right? Like usually when we talk with a reviewer, they won't speak with us very much because they're like, ah, I'm going to have my own opinion. You're not going to influence me. And of course that makes sense, right? That's the, that's the game. And I would say it's, uh, it's the same with, uh, with TikTokers. That checks out for me because I tend to partner with a lot of B2B SaaS companies on TikTok as my brand partners. And I do sort of filter for, you know, what I organically recommend this to my audience and can I maintain credibility while promoting this particular software? So that checks out. And we've tried every now and then, I'll, I'll admit that, like we've worked with, so this hasn't been reviewers, but TikTokers where we've commissioned them to be content creators on our behalf. And we've been like, hey, here's a script, go through these things. Like this is the way we would sell it in a Facebook ad or whatever. That never works. Like the performance of that content just never, never, never works. So you have to be comfortable uh, and trust that if you give a good brief, you highlight the selling points, you find the right partners to work with, they'll ultimately find uh, a much better way of talking about your product than we could, at least uh, as it relates to TikTok and the expectations that users of TikTok have for content. We've had a similar experience with Invisibly. So Invisibly, an early stage tech startup, we're building our audience and we're continuing to build our product, which is an app to access news for free. And we're working with partners like the Wall Street Journal. And one of the interesting things about TikTok is you really have to push your brand outside of the guardrails. People expect to engage with real people and people, real people make mistakes. They take stances. They are authentic most of the time. And so there's a huge opportunity to kind of Break your brand outside of the typical Instagram polished aspect of it. And some of our best performing TikToks have been things where we are latching on to a news trend, even if it's something like the Selena and Kylie thing or whatever that is. I debated about going with that, but it's trending. And then um, also 
things like the trending sounds. We've seen a lot of traffic and just kind of increased discoverability by latching onto those, but incorporating it into news content. So I think we really view Gen Z as this opportunity to get in front of a new audience, experiment and test new things. And we're out there and we're sharing articles from the Wall Street Journal. And I think exposing the Gen Z to just high quality content that's typically gated, we're removing the gate and then we're coming at it from a different angle. I think um, the Washington Post has an amazing TikTok and they take a very creative way to share news with Gen Z. I think that trend will only continue to grow. Mustafa, you spend a lot of time advising clients on how to think about reaching Gen Z, appealing to Gen Z. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, as, 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 as it relates particularly, I would say like maybe some tactical advice on, on search particularly, like how can I, because this is something that we get a lot. Like now we talk about TikTok for search. What does it mean for, for my brand? How can I rank? And I think uh, this is something that just came up re- literally right outside when we we're sort of walking in here. And uh, I would say the, the primary thing, obviously, like make sure that you're building community and sort of like follow the, just that authentic sort of unpeel that corporate PS that we t- tend to sort of put that brand that we really manufacture a certain way. Uh, so show up and, and, and sort of, you know, unpeel that, uh, that layer. But at the same time, there's some tactical advice on how to rank, for example, for your primary keywords or, you know, put the keywords and then make sure that each and every video, there's a text layer, there's the audio layer, and there's the engagement layer, and then just reverse engineering and seeing who's ranking for these particular terms and redoing and reshuffling that. And that's a lot of brands are seeing success with that framework of how to rank for search. It's just really the text. When you talk about text, you have the text overlay, and then you have the edits, you have the hashtags, and then you go into audio. The audio is sort of make sure that you're using the app. So there's some very tactical thing that you can do, and it's immediately going to expose you to uh, a bunch of new audience. So they're just using this trend, and sort of you get to see that unlock value from that sort of new trend, uh, which is, I mean, social search in that case. We've seen quick wins from that. So I think Google differs because you have to invest all of this time and energy and content writing, and it's sort of, it's a pretty big ordeal to be able to rank really highly. TikTok, day of, if you get the keyword optimization right, you can immediately get on the For You page with a high ranking. So I think the newness of it presents a marketer just this kind of incredible opportunity for their brand. Yeah, I'll echo the same. And we've seen so much success when creators, they go and do uh, like comparative content with our products and competitors. And again, we don't control the outcome of this. So, you know, it could go both ways, uh, but also how-to guides. That works so well. Um, we had this creator uh, open up saying that here's why shadow play really sucks. And it's one of our competitors. And of course, that got everyone super engaged. It, uh, it went crazy viral because many people like debated his opinion about it. And, but he went through it in a very, um, uh, like, uh, very factual way of comparing, you know, pros and cons of, uh, of each of our applications. So yeah, that type of content really works. And it's also an easier, uh, low effort, low cost way of testing what might be smart to then create a larger blog about and use it in our email marketing. Uh, so we can use it to validate ideas as well. Yeah. One, one thing to, to Jacob's points, like, I think this is really good, like leveraging creators. Uh, you don't have to just leverage your own platform and optimize your own content. Just reverse engineer it and go and search for each and every business has a, a set of a specific set of few keywords that they want to rank for. Go look for those on TikTok and then make sure that you reach out to those creators that have created these content that are ranking. They can do something for you. So it's a good way to also find creators and instead of having to create that content yourself. They have already unlocked some type of growth in that area and they have a voice in that area. Just make sure that they can maybe like their next piece of content that the user that have already followed them or engaged with them on this particular sort of uh, pieces of content that appear on that keyword, uh, they're more likely, you're more likely to find success with sort of creator partnership from that perspective. And this is something that we're doing a lot with a lot of brands. And, and, and again, it's a really good to unlock new audience that you wouldn't typically sort of unlock otherwise. And they tend to be a lot more engaged. Like when you see a video sort of catching on from a search point of view, they tend, it tends to be a lot more high intent and more engaged because they arrived at it, not just like sort of randomly arriving on, like showing on, on, on sort of as they scroll up and down, it's, it's, it just arrived because they really had, they were looking for something and they just found it. So, and it, we do know that TikTok is, we we're just chatting about this earlier. TikTok is, is, is in beta for sort of a search product, uh, uh, 
search ad product. And this is actually super interesting. There you will have search ads and, and that will be also a game changer for a lot of brands where you're able to like sort of bid on the specific keywords and they're able to sort of tab into and get value out of that, of that, out of that trend. That's a great point because search is monetized through a, you know, massive ad revenue business. Uh, Laura, I loved your point about, um, Google SEO just taking months of painstaking effort, right? And optimization and six months at least of creating all this high quality content. And then you finally start to see the results. But then with something like TikTok, that feedback loop is so much tighter. And that actually kind of dovetails into something you were saying, Jacob, about, you know, test things, test things out. And I'm a creator and I tweet more now for better or worse. And I post on TikTok and I have a podcast. And the way I think about these platforms in my stack, if you will, is I tweet out random thoughts and perspectives on Twitter. If it gets some engagement, I'll make a video out of it. If that gets engagement, I'll, you know, do like a solo episode or even an interview about it on the podcast. It's not always that polished or structured, but I do think it's important to think about the way these things all play together instead of thinking them of them as siloed. Um, Laura, did you want to add something to what we were talking about, about the SEO? Google versus TikTok? Um, when it comes to SEO, I think even if you use ChatGPT to help you write a blog post, which we found does not work, um, it, there's not a good shortcut to that. I think you have to invest the time and it's really like a long-term play. It took us like probably a full year and a half to start realizing the traffic boost from traditional SEO. TikTok, same day we start ranking. So like there's this huge aspect with the experimentation and testing and just being an early stage startup, we're still finding our audience and testing different product ideas. So it provides a really interesting platform to kind of test from a product angle as well. And Mustafa, I want to highlight something you said about um, working with creators who are already ranking for certain things, especially for those brands who are not yet super active on TikTok and still need to figure out a sustainable strategy to post more consistently. I think that's a really great shortcut because what I have found as a creator is certain accounts start to rank for certain keywords. And then when you try to veer out of that or switch up your content, you don't do so well. So it's not just about the keywords and creating excellent content around those keywords. It's also about being an account that TikTok has somehow recognized as being a, an authoritative one for those sets of keywords. I want to ask you, Jacob, about the role of community, because I know that community in gaming is so important. You've already talked about how you guys think about Reddit. Can you expand on how you think about community today and how that's evolved over the recent years? Um, yeah, I'm, it's uh, it's interesting because again, uh, gaming like gamers have been on the internet for so long, and we had a version of Discord that many people are familiar with today. We had the same thing twenty years ago called IRC, where we did community, we did AMAs, we had like our truest fans uh, in a server talking with us. Um, I think the way that we use community today is we can see how, for instance, when we do a product launch, we'll do a uh, Twitch live stream where we engage again with our most hardcore community. We let people know on our email list that we're doing this AMA with a product designer, product engineer. They'll go there, they'll ask questions, they'll get deep information, very specific information about our products. And we can see how like there's a ripple effect on how that impacts blogs, other Reddit posts, how they'll show up in, you know, the comment track of tweets. Um, and that's really fascinating. And it's, uh, it's, it's a reason why we do that pretty much all the time in our go-to-market planning is think about how do we engage with our community so they get their questions answered because we'll then mobilize them to go out and talk about our brand and our products out there on the internet. And Laura, we already discussed how chat GPT and similar platforms might affect the publishing world. Do you have any further insights or takeaways for the publishing industry to be able to navigate and sort of brace themselves for any impending changes? I think it's so early in the chat GPT game. And so I think um, seeing where Bing falls in, I think like, has anyone said that they've binged something anytime soon? I haven't binged anything in Raise like your hand 10 years. I don't even know when. So like the fact that we're talking about Bing is a really big deal. So I think um, there's a got to be a plan to support the publishers because the amount of content coming out of publishers and they're so dependent upon these revenue streams from Google driven SEO clicks and all of that. 
Um, it's a, just a massive industry. So I think it does open the floor for innovation around how publishers diversify their revenue and diversify their audiences. So I think as readership ages, Gen Z becomes even more important. So I think even though a, perhaps like a well-established publisher brand, maybe Gen Z is not their target market at the moment, they need to future plan for their brand. So I think just kind of taking into account and really understanding media consumption habits of current generations, but also like future generations like Gen Alpha we talked about is super crucial. Yeah, I, I totally agree with this. I would say it's uh, the the generative AI in general, and this this might a lot of a lot of the Chat GPT bros might might not uh, might not agree with this, but uh, generative AI. I think there's generative AI generates a lot of garbage. Uh, because it's just basically like reshuffles and obviously like generates some quality content along the way, but generally just in nature, it just reshuffles through the same content in the web over and over and just re just introduces it to you in a in a way that is sort of convenient and digestible and the way you want it to, just because you give it that prompt. But uh, as we're seeing more of that garbage built up, I think quality content is going to be very valuable from my point of view. I think quality content is going to be like, there's that pyramids and there's like sort of at the bottom, there's a lot of garbage, but the, at the top, I think quality content is going to become even more valuable for publishers from my point of view. And I think it's, uh, we, we, and I think more of these walled gardens, like the, the New York times and more of the bigger sides, I think they're close to 10 million subscribers and that subscription for quality content model works. And, and I think they're, it's also working for small creators. Like they're sort of sending you out newsletters and, and we're going to start seeing quality content, more quality content gets gated and people rely on their communities rather than rely on search engine to drive traffic to this content and drive eyeballs to this content uh and 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 as i would say search will will also suffer from the generative ai garbage <laughs> so uh i think that's a good trend for publishers from my point of view quality content will continue to win quality content will win but i think the gates are going to prevent people from accessing it so i think one of the things that's interesting with tiktok they really focus in on gatekeeping and it it's actually a trending term on TikTok, and they're against gatekeeping. You don't keep your secrets, share it with the world, share your content. And so I think for publishers, the subscription model obviously has worked for them for a long time, and it funds really high-quality journalism. But I think looking outside of that at different ways to monetize content, I think is going to be really important as we move forward. That point about quality content just becoming even more important, I think, is worth underlining because, you know, content is commoditized, but quality content will always be valuable. In fact, it will be even more valuable because of the high noise to signal ratio that's going to become a reality as it becomes so much easier to have chat GPT write blog posts, if you will. Let's talk about search ads. Mustafa, you touched on this. Um, obviously, search ads have been a mainstay of the marketing kind of stack for decades now. And I actually, my first job was in AdWords at Google. So this is a nostalgic topic for me. And I remember in 2015, when I was working there, um, I don't quite remember the stat anymore, but AdWords was driving a staggering percentage of the revenue of Google. And I'm sure it's still considerable. 80%. Yeah, that that's wild when you think about it. Um, so how are you each incorporating uh, ads and search ads into your business now? And how are you going to evolve given some of these changes, that approach? I mean, we're still paying the Google tax, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, so that, I, that's not really changing as long as Google has that huge position as it, as it has today. And it's, it, it is what it is. You, you just kind of have to play that game. Um, I think what we're much more interested in is exactly what Mustafa was saying with like search on TikTok. I think Twitter is doing some stuff with that too. Although, you know, Twitter advertising is like a whole other conversation these days. Um, but we're paying attention to those things as alternatives in the paid marketing mix. Um, and yeah, trying to work with that. Honestly, we're, um, I think there's a lot more bang for our buck uh, by going out and getting that creator content on TikTok and being there when search uh, queries happen rather than having like paid keywords or whatever. So that's, uh, that's what we're a lot more focused on in driving our user base for software. Part of the Google monopoly and why we are paying the Google tax as well 
is their analytics. So we know we put an ad up and it drives conversions. And then I can we can go to our leadership, our board, and can say, oh, marketing drove this many conversions and tie it directly back. TikTok is not there yet, in my opinion, because I think it's a lot of top of funnel traffic, which is fantastic. You need to build brand awareness, so don't turn your back on that. But at the end of the day, in front of the board, do they care about the top of funnel traffic? They want conversions. So I think there's a give and take on this. Well, and it's the same thing that we see, but also what's even more anxiety provoking for a, a financial person in our team is that whenever we do these content placements, we can't really have strong CTAs because if we do that, wham, like people's bullshit radar goes off again uh, and it doesn't really work. So what we're doing is trying to correlate how organic traffic increases when we do these different content activations, uh, which of course is really, it's a really fuzzy way of doing attribution. So we're kind of guessing, we're kind of seeing that it works, uh, but we can't do it as accurately and as neatly as we can with Google and Meta. We're experiencing the same thing. And I think when we go back to TikTok, I think just having to justify it as a marketer is a little more difficult. But I think um, what we're seeing is we are getting some increased discoverability. We're seeing some additional organic traffic come in, which we're measuring via Google. Um, but I think it's definitely something we see the traffic, can't track the conversions as closely, but we're seeing the uptick. And I think it's something we're going to continue to experiment on with. And hopefully TikTok builds out their analytics more so that we can really attribute the leads from that. I would also like that if TikTok did that. I, I have a, a counterpoint here, which I, I totally agree that the board definitely wants the conversions. But I think the current analytics and, and attribution stack that we're using is very focused on direct response and and an era that in Google's and Facebook's best interest, best interest it should, things should work a certain way. And we're using their own analytics to justify their own ad dollars. And I think um, not just like like platforms like TikTok suffer from sort of this attribution piece, but also even communities. A lot of the time you have these, uh, you know, call it dark social or communities where your brand is getting sort of favorable uh, position there. And you get a lot of traffic, sometimes, you know, tagged as direct traffic, sometimes, sometimes tagged as social, whatever sort of direction they find you in. But essentially the eyeballs started at a community or a newsletter or someone uh, that sort of like really said something positive uh, about you. And and the same time, same thing with, with TikTok sort of and most top funnel and branding uh, specific or community specific sort of platforms. Uh, and you end up only realizing that in, in post-conversion surveys or marketing mix modeling or something of source where you don't use Google and you don't use uh, uh, the analytics stacks of Meta, uh, which which again is very driven by a very specific sort of uh, direct response framework that sort of worked in a specific era. And I think it hasn't really evolved to catch up with what we're doing uh, in, today, in today's marketing world. And, and, and I think it will. And I think we're seeing now the, 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 the sort of like with, with universal analytics and move to, to uh, GA4, but, uh, but it's still, I think there is an issue sort of with that sort of first touch attribution and direct tracking that uh, a lot of tough funnel branding and community building uh, sort of channels are not getting as much uh, of of the credit that they they should be getting uh, if we had a better attribution and analytic system in that sense. So I want to ask everybody two more questions, and then we're going to open it up to questions. So get your questions ready. The first question is, what, given all these changes, do you each foresee as being some of the capabilities that marketing teams and marketers need to be developing in order to successfully navigate all of these shifts? Well, uh, we've talked a little bit about storytelling and creating content and all this. We're super focused on storytelling. Like, it doesn't really matter what kind of role you have in the marketing team, you got to be a good storyteller. Even if you're a strategist, you need to understand what is good storytelling and spot that from creators or agency partners or whoever we're working with. So having that as a fundamental skill set and growing that in your team, like that's a that's a huge, huge focus for us. Copywriting, of course, is very related to that. And then some level of video editing. Um, bonus if you know how to open CapCut, the video editor for TikTok and, and play around with that. Um, you need to have you need to know enough to be dangerous uh, in those apps. Uh, I think that's essential if you want to succeed on TikTok. Yes. Short form video is here to stay. 
Gen Z likes bite-sized, community-driven content. Um, so I think having that specialty on your team is important. And then also, I think someone who really understands brand positioning, because I think as you're testing these new channels like TikTok, it's a different type of way to kind of establish your brand. And for Invisibly, it's been a very interesting way to position us to publishers as a gateway to a more diverse set of generation and audience when perhaps they're restricted with their own brand. So I think really taking a look at your brand capabilities and then having someone who uses TikTok, who uses the social search aspects of the other platforms, I think is crucial because it's changing constantly and you want someone to be passionate about it. And it really comes out in the content that you end up sharing on TikTok. That's so true. And I see a lot of teams hire maybe a Gen Z intern and they're like, you just can do our TikTok. But just because somebody's good at, you know, Instagram doesn't mean they're going to be great at TikTok. And also just because somebody's Gen Z, it doesn't mean they're going to be good at TikTok. So you do need to find that storyteller who loves creating content, who knows how to be on brand, but also adapt it to TikTok and make it entertaining. So that is really crucial. And I see that a lot. Mustafa, do you have anything to add here? Yeah, I, I fully agree with, with, with everything that Jacob, Laura, and, and Dolma, you said as well. Uh, I would say that a new, a new skill that we're seeing and, and we've been sort of honing this in and getting some, some sort of early success with, uh, you need someone sort of to understand also um, generative AI applicability in your use case. Um, so basically leveraging even all the way, anything from like sort of good at prompt engineering and nerding out from, you know, in a mid journey from a creative point of view or chat GPT from a content point of view. But leveraging also like the the available sort of massive AI stack right now for the use case that you're working on as a business and and giving you more of like a low code version of some fine tuning in your business to like help you just like build an edge and leverage some of these technologies and just get speed or get automation, get get leverage, get like good high, like uh, more productivity in your use case. And we've seen this with our content team, even if you have to like use tools like the Jaspers and the Writer dot com and all of the, some of these tools that are available, but there is an, a new layer of that where you're really like customizing this for your use case and it can work so much better for you. I know I said, you know, you can get a lot of garbage out of chat GPT and, and generative AI, and this might seem like a counterpoint, but we've gotten some value because sometimes in, in work, there are certain things that are just, we shouldn't be doing. And I think that AI should do for us. And I think finding a, a model that and fine tune for your use case and having someone that nerds out on that and just gets, gets you value is tremendously valuable. And we've had a lot of success with that. I would say early success. I wouldn't say a lot yet. I see so many interesting and funny articles about sometimes how brilliant ChatGPT can be when it responds to you and gives you information and sometimes how off it can be. Just It just makes up these fabrications and you have to be really discerning about making sure it doesn't slip something in there that doesn't belong there. So we will end off with kind of a juicy question. Who do you guys think will win the battle for the future of search? Um, I think people. I think <laughs> by having competition, people win. Um, the fact that we're talking about Bing is an achievement in itself, but um, having AI make your life easier and like really having this fierce competition with tech giants, the things that will come out of this will just be mind blowing. I think the innovations and then you have all of these startups who are just like, absolutely running with these innovations as like at lightning speed. So I think at the end of the day, people are empowered. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how it all unfolds because you, you could say, for instance, uh, I, I agree with that. And so Reddit would be a phenomenal place to go search for information, right? For those specific topics that you need. But what if uh, Reddit creates some kind of subscription model for chat GPT so they can use all the information. I know they probably just use it right now without asking, but uh, eventually, you know, they might create some kind of licensing model and then, okay, now it's which search engine has the best licensing deals with which platforms, whether that's Reddit, Quora, so on and so forth. It's going to be really hard to, uh, to see how that all plays out. And we might have to have like our, uh, a new kind of Napster or Kazar moment, but now it's, it's information instead of music. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I think I think I I do agree with that. I think also like today's search as like is is Google is still positioned with the level of cash that they have, the level the technology and and really like sort of the the product and brand mode that they built with you know owning the Chrome Android and 
and the search position that they have and, and sort of the entire suite of product that is built around it, they're still positioned to be the leading player in the space and, 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 and forcing them to come out and dance doesn't mean that they're going to lose it. Maybe they dance, they're actually a pretty good dancer and they end up doing <laughs> something that surprises and, and sort of inspires all of us. But, uh, but I still think that there is a trend of today's internet is bigger than any single company's ability to effectively roam, uh, 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 index and send size and, and serve it to us effectively. And I think there's all of these layers that we're seeing and, and this trend of unbundling and, and really fragmented search experience is something that is, is going to continue. And there are so many layers. And one of these layers is going to be the answer engines where people get these sort of large language models to answer a lot of their questions that they have. And, and frankly, answer engines eats into search engines because there's certain questions just I wouldn't need to go and search for it. I need, there's a step that is going to be skipped with these sort of zero clicks experience and conversational sort of UI. Uh, that we're getting with the likes of ChatGPT and, and others. And I think that's going to definitely eat into search and create a whole new sort of space, which is that generative AI piece that is going to continue to eat into search while also we're seeing the fragmentation uh, from a modality point of view and the fragmentation from a vertical uh, uh, perspective as well. So that fragmentation will continue. And I think Google is still positioned, in my opinion. Uh, Microsoft made it definitely made the massive, massive improvement and sort of like their their market position was the partnership was open ai but google is still the the 800 pound gorilla that uh, that for now it's only poked well said let's give a round of applause to our wonderful panelists today thank you guys and now let's open it up to questions so there's a mic in the middle there There we go. Um, so as probably the only social media lawyer in the room, I'm, I'm curious. Oh, my. I, I focus so much on FTC compliance and the endorsement guides and, and different things like that. And I'm curious with all of the different roles that you play in creating content, seeding content, particularly in the what looks to be authentic and organic space. How much attention are you paying to implementing the, the right safeguards to make sure that people you're working with are making proper disclosures, they're not saying things that they shouldn't be saying about your product and what it does, what it can do, so forth and so on? Because, you know, you mentioned table stakes earlier, Laura, and that, that's what I think of. Like, that's become table stakes to the point where people don't talk about it as much, but it's got to be part of that framework. And I'm just curious how you all think about that in this context of, of uh, social search. I have a unique situation because our president and COO, who I work very closely with, is a lawyer. And so we're very small still at Invisibly. We're about like 25 people and then we have an offshore team. So I think um, we always take, I think, sort of the safety of others into account. But we also are in a unique position because we're sharing news. And so the articles we're sharing are from top publications. They're from things like The Wall Street Journal, Barron's Market Watch. And so I think we're just taking a different take on that. Um, as we look for creators, definitely, I think the legal aspect becomes more interesting. But um, right now, I think it's like simple gut checks, but it hasn't become a huge issue for us yet. For us, we just adhere to the guidelines around working with creators. So there has to be like an ad or sponsored in it. So it's very obvious that it's a brand partnership. And of course, we check that they don't make any claims um, that are, you know, wrong. Um but the thing that's a little bit strange and I don't have a good answer for is, for instance, when we use uh, tracks that are made available on TikTok or, you know, green screen clips from movies because now they're a meme. Is that fair use? Is it copyright violation? Are we using, no, we can, we you know, the likeness that. of that's, actors? Like, that's, like that's that a whole, whole other session. Yeah. yeah. That whole thing, uh, I feel like is a big question mark of the modern Internet and content creation. And everyone is kind of doing it and waiting for I don't know what to happen. So There's, we're kind of I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll drop it. To be served. I'm with not the, on the yeah, panel, papers. by the way, but the functionality and the capability to do things like that, and the fact that individual users do it, and nobody's going to sue them. It's very rare. When right. brands get involved and start mimicking that behavior, that's when, right. you know, the, the, the game changes. Yeah. It's a big question mark. It's, uh, and, and I feel like there's something with the, the law that has to be modified for the modern internet too. But yeah, I, I have no good answer. <laughs> I don't have a good answer either. You were talking to a guy that named this company no good. So I safety is the last thing I think about. But we have good lawyers. We have good lawyers and they tell me when uh, I make mistakes and they help us. So 
good. All right, um, thank you. Yeah. I can tell you from the creator side, it's been interesting to see how diligent TikTok audience members or, or just the TikTok community is about holding creators accountable mm-hmm. if they think something is an ad. And I will always include like hashtag ad, hashtag sponsor. But if they don't quite see it and they're confused, they'll call you out in the comments. They will not let you get away with it. And I've also had a few brands I've worked with hint that they would rather I not include that. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. So all kinds of funny behavior. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your question. Anybody else? Duh. Um, I really liked, I forget who said it, but the, um, the term answer engines, um, thought that was really clever and it got me thinking, um, if we look at issues with misinformation on digital platforms in the recent years, um, how does the role of answer engines, like what is the role that it, you know, they play in that, um, something like traditional search, there's, you know, you have the old school bibliography vibe, you open tabs you look at you you inform your opinion but does the future of of search have potential to still require critical thinking from users or are we sort of heading down i get one answer and i don't really think about it it's a really good question i think i think it's it's a i think choice in general and having the choice is a very important thing in critical thinking you're you're actively practicing choice and i think that's the danger of answer engine and I think we're going to start seeing the use case get refined uh, more as we people know the strength of using these answer engines or larger language model when to use X and Y. Uh, and I think we it, it's it's going to also like we're going to start seeing trends from that. We're going to start different generation use it differently. Uh, so, uh, but it's definitely like it's it's I don't like one answer with anything. Right. I always like to see <laughs> uh, you know uh, counterpoints, and I think uh, that's the danger of it. I I. I asked ChatGPT the other day who founded my company and it was someone else. I'm like, you're telling everyone, like, you're lying. That's, that's, I did this. Like, there was like a, there's like a guy named, I took a screenshot. I'm like, well, now, like, that's false information. That's, uh, and it's impacting right. my business. Right. But imagine if this was information was actually a lot more impactful to the world and the people and, and more valuable in that case. And it will be, it will be problematic because millions of people are exposed to it and dealing with it as the truth. And that's going to be the, it's very problematic sort of, thing to deal with. I think it's terrifying that we are talking about an answer engine that big tech is in charge of, and they're going to summarize an answer for us based on whatever sources they choose. The links may or may not be there, and we're going to trust their answer. I think that's terrifying. Yes. Cool. (laughs) Thank you. Just to spell about it, right? Like you have users answer questions on TikTok with no links to any of their sources? I think misinformation on TikTok is definitely an issue. And then it is reverberated within their own filter bubble bubble or echo chamber. So yeah, I think this could be a whole another session. Yes. Yeah. But at least I can Sorry. reply and say, you know, BS, like, I, that's wrong. And people would give me likes and it will be a conversation. But with Answer Engine, uh, I can give thumbs up and thumbs down in if they have... And some some don't even have the functionality. It's going to show people see that already most likely believe or likely to believe what is being said, right? So could be, yeah. I think we have time for one more quick question. Uh, so similarly, when it comes to these, uh, the shift to answer um, um, answer search, well, good Jesus. Um, so when it comes to search, I'm guessing we are going more into a relationship-based search than if we have these answering machines um, taking over. Uh, what do you think the implications of that might be in the long term? Like the imp- implications of answer engines and large la- language models that are conversational in nature? Is that- uh, more like search becoming more about the parallel relationships people have with um, the kind of what comes back at you. Yeah. The creators, yeah, creators, yeah. I think I think there is, uh, I think there's definitely a trend in it. Actually, one of the things that we talked about niche communities. Uh, one thing that you know, a trend that we're coming is making a comeback, which is humans asking humans. Back in the day, it was to be forums, and and I think right now, um, you know, there's like all of these niche communities where if you work in a specific industry or uh, there's massive group chats for you know your 
your soccer league or whatever. Like it, there's always people asking humans, asking humans, and that's making a comeback in, in a very, very positive way that we've used to see from coming from web one, if I have to use the analogy of web one to web three. Uh, so I think humans to human, that relationships and sort of like making sure that there are these communities and people asking questions to communities and getting answers that can be manifested in sort of the discords, the slacks of the world, but also you can see it on Reddit, which is, I think, one of the strength of Reddit. So humans want to see humans answer their questions and having that humans experience and perspective uh, on the answer and sort of the relationship and association with that remains to be powerful. I think that's why TikTok is such a big thing now, because yeah. it you get a real real person validating it. And if you search like for a restaurant, it's, you go to TikTok instead of Google, which I used to do, but now you actually you get to see the restaurant. You get to see the person eating. So it's like, it takes it so much further than just an answer. Yeah, and also communities attached to these creators in the end. Like, exactly, so it becomes this yes. interplay, right? Okay, thank you. Thank you. And let's give another round of applause to our panelists.